Welcome to the Davos in the Desert podcast series. My name is Mark Oliver and I am the producer of the Davos in the Desert podcast series. Our podcasts feature thought leaders in business and public policy. Our sessions are meant to be informative and thought-provoking. The topic of this session is China's role in arming Hamas, and our guest is Carice Witt. Ms. Witt is the founder and executive director of Signal Group, Sino-Israel Global Network and Academic Leadership, an Israeli policy and organization that specializes on China-Israel and China-Middle East affairs. Without further ado, here is David Wanatik, the CEO of Davos in the Desert and the host of our podcast series. Hello, I'm David Wanatik, CEO of Davos in the Desert, and here with Karis Witte, who will speak to us about China's efforts to arm and support Hamas. Karis, thank you very much for joining us. Great pleasure to be here. Thank you. So um, basically, what is China doing uh, to help Hamas? First, I think we need to understand that uh, the help is in inadvertent per se, meaning China's goal is not to help Hamas. It doesn't have an intent to actually support anything Hamas does. It, China generally is against terrorism. And uh, the, what we're seeing is an uh, opportunistic action or set of actions by China to capitalize on what is in development in this region, in many different areas of the region, to advance China's general uh, political and diplomatic interests. Of course, there are also economic interests in, in our region in the Middle East, but um, uh, and that factors in as well. Uh, arms sales to the Middle East have been reported to grow by 80% in recent years by China. Although China still only um, is 4.6% of global arms sales, this region has seen an increase. And there has been a concerted awareness by investment firms and by um, uh, arms manufacturing companies that the Middle East is a good uh, client. And the more there is low level tension and conflict, the more they can sell these um, light arms. Uh, heavy arms are also on the way, but they don't really impact Hamas and Israel. They're not, you know, they're not getting um, the equivalent of F-16s, et cetera. Uh, we all know that Israel discovered a huge cache of Chinese-manufactured uh, um, missiles, uh, uh, rockets, uh, um, arms of uh, material of all kinds. And it is enough and uh, of similar caliber and quality that it looks like it's an official sale, like it's a, an on-order purchase. This leads to the understanding that there is a regular supply of uh, Chinese-made military equipment, likely from Iran, but could also be through uh, other Iranian proxies, through Syria, uh, through Hezbollah, uh, China has been known historically to sell uh, to Hezbollah uh, years ago. Uh, and it's possible that there are sales that are going directly to Lebanon that are not um, that are not known and reported officially. 
But China only will sell to state actors uh, in, you know, for the last over a decade. They will only sell to state actors. Prior to Xi Jinping's rise uh, to the leadership in China, uh, for example, during the Second Lebanon War, uh, there was a huge amount of corruption in China, which is why he's been running this anti-corruption campaign very consistently uh, for the past uh, 14, uh, 12 years. Uh, this corruption also included uh, leading families in China, equally dividing, sort of like the mafia, uh, the um, black market arms sales in the Middle East. And that is likely the way that Hezbollah got arms back uh, during the Second Lebanon War from China. However, that corruption has pretty much been wiped out. Uh, we see that the campaign is ongoing. And uh, over a million people have either been arrested or called in for inquiries, uh, given warnings, been um, executed, et cetera. And that affects you know, uh, all of their power base. So we're talking about a very large quantity of people have been uh, directly impacted by the anti-corruption campaign, which leads to the assumption that the odds of uh, um, smuggling out of China taking place by anybody with any serious uh, connection to power is low. You do always have bad actors. There could be bad actors in China who are uh, on, a, on a low level basis smuggling somehow directly, but the odds are it, uh, the sales are going legally to state actors and then being uh, smuggled into Gaza and to Hamas via uh, Sinai via Egypt. Okay, so uh, just just one comment. I think uh, a lot of the anti-corruption drive in China is just a means to consolidate power. Uh, right, it's e easy to get rid of somebody by saying he's corrupt. Um, and then, so so basically, you're you're saying that uh, your understanding is that the Chinese government is not directly selling arms to Hamas. Uh, the arm, the Chinese arms are coming into Hamas uh, to Gaza indirectly uh, through Syria or Iraq or Iran. Is that or Le Lebanon? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And I also need to stress that uh, while there is um, uh, always the uh, opportunity to capitalize on an anti-corruption campaign to consolidate power. There is real, or there has been, or was very real serious corruption that has been um, cleaned up in many different ways. Uh, I agree uh, that um, President Xi Jinping's aim has definitely been to position himself as the center of power um, from in his mind, this is the only way to properly manage the system, the uh, the the sort of um, multi-arm, you know, many many-legged uh, uh, octopus that is China. It, it's historically been a very difficult country to to manage because it's so large, so many people, so many different cultures. You know, every single province has many languages within it, not just one. And getting everybody on board with the, the way that the system needs to work is a challenge. Um, so in, in the, the um, historical traditional approach is to have very centralized power. 
At the same time, real corruption on many, many levels has been cleaned up and it continues to be because many people were taking advantage of this of the situation and the weaker definitely the weaker of the population were suffering uh so um i think we have to understand when it comes to china it's no one answer it's probably all of the above so as far as the arms that are going from uh china indirectly into uh gaza um do you think it's a intentional effort for china to orchestrate that um having a political um, mission to to get arms into Gaza? Or is it just a matter of happenstance? Um, or is it just a matter of uh, business? Uh, somebody in Syria or Lebanon makes their money by selling, by, by reselling arms. And, From China's is- perspective, the, the arms factor in the Hamas-Israel war is not an intended goal. This this aspect of their uh, participation, if you can say that, is um, uh, inadvertent. China's China is taking action on a on an official geopolitical level that is anti-Israel. Uh, it has um, responded to the Houthi uh, behavior or the Houthi attacks, Houthi terrorism in the Red Sea in ways that are anti-Israel that even shoot itself in the foot because China is having a very hard time grasping the contradictory factors of what is happening in the Red Sea. When it comes to the arms to Hamas, it's very clear. They're not gonna arm a terrorist organization, period. Yes, they will sell to all of the state actors. Those state actors are, are in many cases bad actors from your perspective and mine. They will, resell, smuggle, et cetera. Uh, However, China's action in the Red Sea, where it, uh, on the one hand, uh, criticizes the attacks on the ships, but on the other hand, criticizes the attack on the Houthis, saying that there's no UN uh, uh, action or uh, decision that this is a legal act, basically an anti-US statement. Why is China, which needs freedom of navigation globally and especially through the Red Sea, why is it not supporting an action against the Houthis? China is now suffering economically from the overall rise in shipping prices. This damages China more than many countries because it imports so much of its existential needs. We're talking about food and energy, two basics that they cannot do without. They have to pay the price. So China, on the one hand, is being compelled to expend its resources, its financial resources, on this problem. And on the other hand, uh, uh, refrains from supporting an anti-Houthi uh, approach and attack because it has a an overarching principle to be anti-US, anti-Israel. Anti-Israel because we're affiliated with the US so closely. And why? Because China is looking to bolster its reputation as the leader of the global South. For China, much more important than selling arms to some terrorist organization is to gain the support of the more or less 130 nations that constitute the so-called global South or developing nations. 
China has been working to develop this role and, and gain this support for the last decade and use the United Nations as a way to advance China's very central aim of reshaping global governance in a way that is more suited to China's interests and China's way of, of leading its country. So what we're seeing is on the one hand, on a, on a small level, Chinese arms in Hamas uh, to, uh, that, that were found being used by Hamas is a kind of trigger for us. But what's really important to China is the anti-Israel, anti-US stance. And, and being pro-Hamas is, um, is, is not in their lexicon. They aren't pro-Hamas. They are pro, if you listen carefully, Palestinians. This is also a long-standing historical, I mean, since the founding, practically since the founding of China, they have been pro-Palestinian politically and anti-Israel politically, economically and uh, scientifically and academically. China became very pro-Israel in around 2010. Militarily, there was a period of time between 2000, uh, between uh, the, the, sorry, the um, early 90s until 2000. They were very pro-Israel when it came to intelligence and purchasing uh, defense equipment, but that came to an end with the Falcon and Harpy crisis. So China's main goal is uh, its global aim for gaining for for reshaping global governance in in uh, to suit the what Xi Jinping sees as the proper future for China so what are um, the one and two or three uh, biggest arms markets for uh, China in the Middle East mm. that's a very interesting question uh, China supplies um, is Saudi Arabia I would say, it's the largest buyer, UAE, uh, Egypt. And there is, um, uh, since the Iran has been under sanctions, China has, the, the relationship in arms sales from China to Iran is very unclear. Um, it's hard to pin anyone down who will say, yes, China sold XYZ to, to Iran. There are, um, uh, theories, uh, perhaps very sound theories, that China is supplying arms to Iran in return for oil and gas uh, because Iran lacks the, the cash to pay. But um, in 2019, Iran said it had an $8 billion shopping list for uh, arms and, and material. Uh, it's hard to believe that none of that is coming from China or uh, uh, or. It, it, perhaps indirectly. Um, it was said that since 2020, with, with the end of the sanctions, perhaps China sold um, unmanned aerial vehicles to Iran, but those are also ending up at, with Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, and, and Yemen. So what, what we can um, understand is that there's a very powerful black market, and uh, it, it's even conceivable that the Hamas Chinese arms came from Saudi Arabia, uh, because the you know there are many different players in this game, and Syria is uh, uh, sorry Saudi Arabia is the largest uh, Middle East buyer right now. 
But I, I think the reason for that is ma mainly because they have the money. I'm sure uh, other countries, especially Egypt, would like to equal uh, the purchases that Saudi Arabia is making, but of course they don't have the funds. So um, I believe you said that China doesn't overtly uh, support terrorist organizations like like Hamas. So uh, so that would mean there's no Chinese military advisors in in Gaza. Um, China doesn't bring any Hamas uh, operatives to China for training. I would suppose. Um, is there any dip? Does the Chinese government have a diplomatic mission in Gaza? Uh, uh, no, no. China had a, um, a Xinhua news agency had a bureau. I don't know what the status of that bureau was up until the October seven, but I would imagine it was there. I hadn't actually checked on that. Um, but I, I know the the founding bureau chief, uh, the Chinese who is a founding bureau chief, and uh, that was the main artery of communication, as, as far as I know. Um, China does uh, have um, a mission in the Palestinian Authority, and it is, um, you know, very active embassy. Well, I, let me retract that. Uh, a very... Um, uh, significant embassy in Israel, uh, and the um, Chinese guidance or uh, advising or uh, expertise, human resources in Gaza um, do not in any way officially serve such a position. I would doubt that they would have military advisors, but I cannot say for sure anybody could be working out of a Xinhua news agency for a wide range of purposes. I, I can't say. Okay. Um, Sorry, I will, uh, What you asked one more thing about bringing Gaza, such as um, Hamas was regularly flying to Iran for, for training, discussions, et cetera, guidance. Uh, they were not going to China, certainly um, not in any way that has been reported. So if that happened, it would be um, uh, very, very deeply under the table. So on the uh, bigger diplomatic stage at the UN and so forth, um, what has China's position been after October 7th of 2023? Um, did they vote you know, in favor of Israel or um, did they, what, how did they vote as far as uh, condemning Hamas and, and yeah, the, China has not yet condemned Hamas. They haven't used uh, officially uh, used the term Hamas. They talk about the Palestinians and support the Palestinians. They have condemned Israel's uh, what they call um, disproportionate uh, um, attack on uh, on Gaza and on the Palestinian people. China has never once voted for Israel. They keep voting for a ceasefire, promoting uh, ceasefire resolutions. Uh, China's view is not nuanced when it comes to Israel and the conflicts that we confront. Interestingly, China's view is often very nuanced on many issues, but when, when it comes to us, it's sort of black and white. And uh, unlike India that has changed its voting patterns in the United Nations over the past few years, abstaining, 
from many anti-Israel uh, resolutions, China remains with a very clean record of being 100% anti-Israel. Uh, the first thing President Xi Jinping said after October 7 is we need a two-state solution. So the idea would be that we're going to reward the um, butchery of women and children having their heads cut off and all of the awful, disgusting, savage things we know took place. The answer is a two-state solution. That is not a pro-Israel or even a balanced approach. So, uh, um, and, and that is not because the people of China lack humanity. I was in China in late October with a delegation of experts for briefings uh, um, with uh, um, party and government officials. And as individuals, they were compassionate. They gave us their con condolences uh, and were um, very sympathetic to our tribulations. But as a state, China has no compassion for Israel and no sense of what all of this really means for the people of Israel who have been through the Holocaust in, in living memory, who are uh, uh, have been under attack for our entire existence. And we, you know, we all have to have a safe room. Every, uh, it's a law that in you know, my house, I have a reinforced safe room uh, because we have to be ready for these kinds of attacks. What we did not know we had to be ready for were locks on our safe rooms because uh, terrorists like Hamas would come in, open the door and shoot us or burn us alive or whatever. Uh, so um, Hamas has taken it to the next level. They have repeatedly said that this is a goal they will not give up on. And uh, China continues to say that Israel is, quote unquote, the bad guy. So uh, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance coming from China, and it does create uh, you know, greater tensions between Israel and China. However, uh, we will not cut ties with China, but we must rethink how we approach China, its interests, its interests in Israel and, and in the region overall. Yeah, at least uh, before the pandemic, uh, I think there was a, a, a lot of respect that the Chinese had for Israel. Um, you know, there was there was almost a joke that um, all the entrepreneurs and so forth in Israel, uh, somehow uh, Chinese thought the Israeli population, this was maybe 10 years ago, was 60 million, one of the 6 million. And they were just in shock that Israel did so much with 60 million. And then when they heard population was only about 6 million 10 or 15 years ago, um, then they just couldn't comprehend it. So, but, you know, there were a lot of collaboration. There's you know, VC funds that invest only in Israel and China. You know, there's a good bit of collaboration. So all of this political posturing against Israel, you know, is the real end goal, like as you said, realignment um, uh, with these 130 or so developing countries. That's, you know, a, a platform uh, Israel is a platform they can stand on and berate Israel and uh, take sympathy with the with the Palestinians in order to curry favor with all of these uh, developing countries. Correct. 
So you're, you know, uh, all of your statements uh, are accurate. Yes, the Chinese, the Chinese still uh, have respect this, the same uh, for the same reasons. There's a lot of respect for the Israelis, but they're not expressing it because it's clear that the leadership is on an anti-Israel tirade right now. And when the leadership decides that uh, it wants to be more pro-Israel, then you'll see uh, a lot of this online anti-Semitism disappear. So um, you know it's very leader-led. And yes, the core goal is uh, uh, basically to have control of the direction of the world's decisions via the UN, via playing the numbers game. Then you have a lot of sub-interests. For example, uh, the Chinese economy is sputtering. It has not at all recovered since COVID, uh, mainly due to um, policy uh, decisions and uh, changes and U-turns that were taken in 2021. And, uh, you know, some of them for very good reason, but quite serious effect on the economy. We know about the real estate. We know about the after-school education. We know about the internet platform, all of them uh, all of their power being reduced, all of their revenues being reduced. So um, uh, the stock market in China is not doing well. And uh, that makes a country like Saudi Arabia extremely valuable, much more valuable than it was a few years ago because of its financial resources as an investment source. And it is investing billions into China. Uh, Saudi Arabia also is paying for enormous amount of technology in the new city Naum and other uh, areas of Saudi economy with MBS, uh, Mohammed bin Salman's goal of transforming the economy from uh, completely energy oriented to being diverse and being high tech and innovation oriented. Now this last one meant that Saudi Arabia, this, this transformation of the economy, Saudi Arabia was actively seeking uh, normalization with Israel. And even in spite of this, uh, uh, the, the whole conflagration that we've just been discussing, Saudi Arabia still is interested in normalization. It has never stopped saying normalization is on the table. Even as the people of uh, uh, Saudi Arabia um, are, and, and all of the Middle East are vehemently anti-Israel, Saudis, the Saudi leadership is sticking to its guns in this area. Why? Because it's existential for the future of Saudi Arabia. Uh, this attack by Hamas was timed, in my opinion, and, and that of other experts, was timed to uh, foil that normalization just as Saudi Arabia committed $20 billion to IMEC, the India-Middle East corridor, which would see energy from Saudi Arabia moved up into Europe, which would uh, help Europe uh, uh, remove its dependency on Russia and would advance the economy of the entire Middle East region. It was, you know, a real game changer. And Saudi put that $20 billion commitment on the table before normalization. This was serious. Iran likely uh, was um, conferring with Hamas and discussing when would be the right moment to uh, make an attack that would distract everyone and remove uh, normalization from the table. 
that is likely why the date was October 7. I mean, they wanted to also use our holiday, you know, Simchat Torah, the day that we're all happy and we're with our families and we're in synagogue, uh, like they did 50 years ago. Um, so the timing has a lot to do with that progress on normalization. Once we understand that, we can see that uh, uh, Saudi's continued support of the idea of normalization, in spite of everything, it meant that there had to be an escalation here in the region, thus the Houthis. And yet, Saudi still is saying that normalization has uh, potential. What's next? Israel's facing 250,000 internal refugees. Uh, uh, tens and tens of thousands of them are from the north because Hezbollah has been attacking us almost throughout this entire war and uh, in the north on our border. And if there is not a political re resolution that um, moves the moves Hezbollah north of the Litani River, so we have some kind of a buffer, our people cannot go home. And the only way that we can go back to living like uh, any kind of a normal country, not that we ever have been allowed to be normal, but the only way we can even hope for a hint of normality where our people are not refugees living in every single hotel in the center of the country right now for months, kid lit learning online, people having difficulty getting to their jobs, farms not being worked at all, the price of fruit and vegetable here has gone through the roof. And uh, the, the only other option, if there's no political solution, is a military solution. And war with Hezbollah is uh, going to be very bad for Israel, and it is going to destroy Iran's most prized proxy, because Israel will not hold back. We will not be able to. The damage will be too, too heavy for us to hold right. back. Right. So um, getting back to the, the China element, um, do you see any um, motivation for the Chinese behavior driven by the Uyghur situation in China? Um, this is indirect. Uh, uh, it has been, you know, known for many years now that uh, China works hard to woo Arab and Muslim states. And it has been very successful when 27 Western countries signed on to a statement condemning China's behavior regarding the Uyghurs. Uh, uh, some, I don't know, 35 Muslim states signed uh, a counter uh, uh, statement supporting China's uh, behavior with the Uyghurs. So yes, the, the numbers game, again, that is an, a, a definite interest within China. Any domestic issue, you know, it, um, be it the cancellation of the agreement with Hong Kong, essentially annexing Hong Kong uh, 25 years before the, it was supposed to, um, the one, one China, two systems, ending that uh, out of hand during COVID. Um, these are things that China does not want uh, to suffer interference from any kind of international uh, com commentary, um, UN uh, resolutions, et cetera, et cetera. And in fact, uh, the fact that South Africa took Israel to the uh, International Court of Justice is problematic for, for China because they did it on such flimsy evidence. 
it would be very easy for any country to do the same thing to China should it have the willingness to stand up to you know 1.4 billion people. Um, however, uh, uh, at the end of the day, it's a bad precedent for China. Uh, the Uyghurs are an ongoing um, concern, not the Uyghurs themselves, but the international community's view of the Uyghurs or the Western community's view of the Uyghur situation is an ongoing concern for China. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I never thought about the connection with Hong Kong. So it, it seems that um, China and to some extent elements in Germany, um, you know, have this motivation to demonize Israel because it they think it kind of cleanses their history. If you know now Israel's the bad guy, they're the ones committing um, genocide, annexing um, other territory. So German history wasn't so bad if you look at it in that light. You know, or you know, China's not so bad that they annex Hong Kong because Israel is uh, trying to take other territory, and um, you know, China would rather. I, my understanding is there's been quite a bit in the Chinese press about Israel committing genocide um, to deflect the fact that there's real genocide, real, real genocide in 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 the Uyghur territories, and I know um, a little bit about the Uyghur situation. We have. Uh, another event and I've, I've spoken to some of the Uyghur leaders and this is not a joke. I mean, there, there's only 12 or 14 million Uyghurs in, in China. 900,000 children have been taken from their homes, put in orphanages where they're taught immersively Chinese to the extent that they forget their mother tongue in a couple of years. Um, about 20 or so percent of the population are in these so-called re-education camps. And the ones that are not in re-education camps, they're they're monitored every day. There's surveillance cameras in their homes. They have a Hun Chinese that uh, uh, visits them and makes sure that they're eating pork and drinking alcohol and not praying. And if they do those things, they get reported and maybe sent to re-education. So um, in, in some rural parts of the Uyghur place in China, um, the birth rates have dropped as much as 90%. Um, so in 20, 30, 40 years, there may not be any Uyghurs in China. Um, so, you know, it's real, real genocide in, in China against the Uyghurs. So, uh, you know, I suppose the more the Chinese can demonize Israel, um, the more they think they may be cleansing their own behavior. You mentioned Germany, Germany, the state of Germany has been the most stalwart supporter of Israel since the October 7 conflict. So uh, Germany is not um, uh, creating any trouble. It's only showing great support. Uh, of course, there are in every country, we can look at the United States. The United States has more anti-Semitism than all the rest of the world put together. College campuses are more anti-Semitic than any all, all campuses around the world. Uh, as the president of the Yale Club of Israel, I have been fighting against this anti-Semitism since the Gaza War, uh, May 2021, with a task force of Yale alumni here in Israel. So uh, um, I think that uh, we can, uh, we in Israel very much appreciate German support. When it comes to annexing, Israel has annexed nothing. Uh, Israel has defended itself uh, and has had to uh, have military presence all over, uh, not only in Israel, but on, in, in Judea and Samaria, also known as the West Bank. 
And once upon a time, we had uh, a buffer in Gaza. Uh, that ended, and now we know what, what the result was of that. Um, that's why when it, there's a call for a two-state solution, it has to be understood that there needs to be a, a total and complete re-education of the Palestinian people to understand that they do not get the river to the sea. That is what is in their school books. That is what they're taught from childhood, not only in Gaza, but also virulently in the Palestinian Authority. Those textbooks have been analyzed from the UNESCO uh, protocols of peace and um, uh, uh, tolerance and have been uh, uh, analyzed to show that the Palestinian children are raised from kindergarten to believe that the Jews in this region will disappear one way or another, and they will re uh, they will take over the the region. They're told that they're retaking it. Uh, they never were there. Never were Palestinians prior to uh, the existence of the state of Israel, at least not as an Arab population. Of course, this area was referred to as Palestine. All the Jews and all the Arabs and all the Copts and anybody who was here was a Palestinian. So um, uh, we cannot talk about the word annex in the same breath as we speak about Israel. Oh yeah, it, uh, and just China. Thing. Just a point of clarification. Um, you know, I was just talking about their sorry. their um, the, the propaganda, the narrative. You know, the narrative. They, that... Occupation is the term that we are occupiers and that we have uh, not provided the Palestinians with um, with the freedoms that they should have. Well, they have not provided us with the freedoms we should have. We should not have to live in fear of terrorist attacks at any time. We should not have to live with safe rooms. We should not have to live with rockets. You know, from 2004, Hamas has been shooting rockets into Israel uh, uh, with the distance growing over the years as the rockets were, were more uh, capable. So uh, the, the children who live in the area of Gaza, the Israeli children on our side of that border, they have lived in uh, underground safe rooms for much of their lives. At, at, at 10 times a day, they could have to go into that, uh, you know, basement safe room. Um, and that, uh, we, we basically have shell-shocked, an entire population of shell-shocked people. So where's our freedom? And, yeah. and does anybody, you know, there is no concern for any of the problems that, that have been foisted upon us by the violence that seeks to gain all the territory. There's this misconception that the Palestinians want to negotiate and have shared space. We have not yet seen real proof of that. And as a result, you know, we really are fighting for our lives. This is a little bit off the subject, but um, who built the tunnels? Uh, did foreign engineers go into uh, Gaza and help, or did laborers come from somewhere, Africa or someplace, or was it all local? I'm not a tunnel uh, construction analyst, and um, I, I truly cannot give you any um, uh, expertise, expert uh, assessments of that. However, I will tell you that uh, the, Palestinian, the, um, the Palestinians in, in Gaza were able to travel. They did travel. They are um, relatively well-educated and intelligent and capable, and uh, Gazans and, and Palestinians in general 
are, you know, worked in Israel in construction. Uh, we don't have enough laborers, so, uh, and they don't run any kind of an economy, so they uh, want to get permits to work here. Many of them have worked in construction. Um, I'm sure that, uh, you know, and I'm only speculating, but it makes absolute sense that uh, people have been sent, engineers have been sent to countries to learn whether foreigners have come in and helped. Look, you have so many UNRWA employees, and it's very possible that those UNRWA, foreign UNRWA advisors from Europe, from US, who knows, training engineers, uh, uh, the, but my, my, um, my guess would be that the construction was actually done by the Palestinians. They're, you know, experienced in construction. And the engineering side of it, what they picked up from uh, going abroad, from studying in, in the universities in Gaza, from advisors who may come, you know, in and out uh, on, on for all kinds of other reasons over the years. Um, maybe just one or two more questions. Um, is China making any um, disproportionate concerted effort to win the hearts and minds of of uh, what they call the Palestinians? Um, you know, do they have more cultural exchanges or university, you know, bring more Palestinians over to Chinese universities or have more Confucian institutes or? Nope. Um, China, China's, uh, uh, China has sent delegations over the years, not in the last, uh, I would, you know, I would say a couple of years before COVID, I didn't hear about anything. And, you know, after maybe 2015, where China sent delegations to visit the Palestinian Authority and see if there were investment opportunities. Uh, they brought academics, but I was told nothing came of it. I was told by the Chinese, nothing came of it. Uh, there is not any of those things, not uh, very little academic, almost no cultural. I don't know of any cultural activities that have ever taken place. I don't know if there's any Confucian center. I don't think so. Uh, China tried very hard uh, for a number of years to donate a uh, solar energy plant to the Palestinian Authority and you know, manage the negotiation between COGOT, the Israeli uh, supervisory uh, organization uh, of the Palestinian Authority and uh, the uh, of that territory and the Palestinian Authority. And unlike Japan, which did succeed in donating different kinds of uh, humanitarian uh, installations, um, uh, China failed. They could not manage it. They couldn't make it happen. Uh, so I don't, um, the only support and then when when donations were being given to the Palestinians because of whatever reason, you know, you saw tens, if not hundreds of millions donated by Europe and America, and China gave $1 million. So China's support is political and diplomatic, almost only. Since you, you know, I think you've written about Chinese weapons getting into Gaza and disappointment thereof and that kind of thing. Do you feel um, any bit inhibited uh, going to China now or doing business with China has become harder for you? Uh, I know many people who are concerned and definitely um, there, there have been, uh, I was in Japan recently and was told about uh, five Japanese uh, academics and business people being held in China a, a, we know about the two Michaels from Canada, 
and many Chinese from different countries who are being held uh, without uh, without trial, without uh, um, what we would call justification. Uh, but I think my um, my situation is that I understand China. You know, China has its interests. And Israel has its interests, and I defend Israel's interests. I don't um, badmouth China, and I don't work to um, in any way uh, to um, create problems for China. I work to help defend Israel's interests and protect Israel's interests in the context of China, and help China understand what we're dealing with, and. Uh, I think that um, the Chinese respect the fact that when, when people, you know, uh, defend their interests, they understand that that is a fact of life. And um, done in in a uh, sensible way, uh, the Chinese are receptive, certainly very receptive to listening. They have their own interests and they're going to act in their own interests, but they uh, are very respectful of the uh, opinion and the um, uh, the facts that support those opinions and are anxious to learn more about the Israeli perspective so that they can make more informed decisions for themselves. Okay. Well, um, thank you very much for spending this time with us and uh, educating us on um, China's involvement in the Middle East and uh, giving us perspective on life uh, in Israel after October 7th. Uh, we know it's uh, difficult. Uh, I was in Israel the summer of 2014 when there was uh, lots of missiles fired. And it was probably very minor compared to what's happening now. But it's even under a good scenario where you weren't immediately affected, you were woken up five times at night, you know, having to run down to the shelter. And, you know, and then you couldn't, you weren't that well rested the next day. It was hard to function. And, uh, you always had to think um, if I'm walking to the post office and there's a, an alert that goes off, do I run back home? Do I run to the post office? Do I hide under a car? Uh, hopefully a door will be open to another building that I can use their uh, shelter. And so it's, uh, it is difficult, very difficult. Anyway. Our life is, our life is, we lost 24 soldiers yesterday. I heard. Uh, and they're all uh, reservists. So that's 24 families. And not to mention the parents and siblings and friends. It, this is devastating. We are a nation in the midst of uh, a state of shock. We have not even moved past uh, a repeated disaster uh, situation where we are in the midst of being in, in shock. It is, uh, we're, we're in trauma. We're not anywhere near the chance to get towards the post-trauma. God only knows what that's gonna look like. You're right. And nobody uh, appreciate, no nation really is uh, appreciating any of this trauma that we're suffering because they look at the rubble because the Palestinians are very successful at PR and they um, th this uh, uh, cynical use of their population in order to uh, generate and exacerbate world opprobrium against Israel is uh, it's horrific. And we do not have a choice. 
And we've shown the pictures, we've shown the videos, we've shown the proof that they are using children and, and women and, and uh, uh, you know, families en masse. The whole entire population of Gaza is their tool. And, and frankly, there are many, many tens of thousands of Gazans, if not more, who uh, generally support, have supported Hamas and, and entered into Israel along with Hamas to commit the atrocities that took place on October 7. So uh, we're facing a very, very tough enemy. Yeah, and just for American listeners, to put those 24 uh, casualties in perspective, you'd have to multiply that by 33 times uh, in the U.S. So that's almost 800, almost 800 soldiers uh, comparing it to the U.S. And that's in one day. And, in one and day. overall, we have lost something around 500. Uh, yeah, between so October 7 and the ongoing battle, what's 500 times 33? Yeah, I can't. It's a lot. Um, and I, we're, we're still very disappointed in President Biden for the loss of the 13 Americans, I believe it was, in, in Afghanistan when we withdrew from Afghanistan. So years later, we're still uh, lamenting their deaths. And, uh, you know, so Israel has it much worse. And, uh, yeah, the last thing I'll just say, I, I've, I've literally seen videos of Hamas putting harnesses on little kids and putting a hook on the building and picking the kid up, putting them on the building, you know, is literal human shield. So it's terrible. But anyway, thank you very much for articulating all of this and keeping track of uh, developments in the Middle East and Israel. So, Carissa. Thanks very much for having me and giving me the opportunity to uh, discuss it with you. And I look forward to the next time.